Welcome to another episode of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and today with me is uh, USA correspondent and uh, Emerging Cricket contributor, Nate Hayes. Nate, how's it going over in North Carolina? It's going good. We've had a great week of uh, really, really, I would say mild, but it's actually pretty warm weather, so uh, you can be jealous of me where you're at right now. Well, uh, we've had a very warm week of uh, plus seven degrees Celsius, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining either. Yeah, the... Yeah, it's, it's actually a nice time in Reykjavik. The snow's melted. The book fair's on, being hosted in a, a football stadium. Wow. So that's nice. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of fun things going on. But uh, yes, uh, <laughs> a lot of cricket also. Not so much here, but um, around the world, it's uh, it's a very busy time. Uh, so we'll we'll start with the catch-up games between Namibia and UAE, which are being played as part of Cricket World Cup League Two. Uh, they are replacing the matches that were cancelled way back in 2021 when Namibia hosted a series and uh, the series was curtailed due to Omicron sweeping through Africa. The matches were played on the 23rd and 25th of February. Uh, the the result of the series was a one-all between the UAE and Namibia, which places Namibia on 39 points on the Cricket World Cup League 2 ladder. They're sitting in third place currently after all 36 of their matches are done. So that's uh, a good result for them after a very disappointing time in in their last tri-series over in Nepal where they lost all four matches. But in this series, uh, in the UAE, uh, both of the matches were played at Dubai Sports City. Namibia in the first game bowled out for 91, but they very nearly defended it. Uh, the UAE chased the target nine wickets down, thanks in large part to Tangeni Lungamini's four for 20. The start of the show for the UAE was Ayan Afzal Khan, who hit 35 not out to help the hosts scrape over the line. Um, and he also took three wickets, including Herat Erasmus, the young left-arm orthodox spinner. So Khan who's played a few times for the UAE already, um, is uh, it was away for the second match in this series due to his under-19s commitments playing in the, the qualifier for the uh, 2024 under-19s World Cup. And yes, in the second uh, ODI, the UAE posted uh, 9 for 166 in their 50 overs, which Namibia chased down pretty comfortably in the 29th over. They reached the target three wickets down. So Namibia, comfortable winners in the second match. Uh, it's, it was an interesting series because Namibia batted very, very poorly in that first game. And it seemed like they were continuing their terrible form from the Nepal tri-series. But in the second game, they... And, I mean, even um, in the second innings, they basically turned it around miraculously, you could say. Um, you know, almost defending a 91. And, and there was a dropped catch as well off Ben Shikongo, uh with, with the scores level. So they, they almost tied. Uh, and then, yeah, second second match in the series, uh, they they really came back and but pretty dominant batting display. Lowen Lawrence, uh, Michael Van Lingen, another half century to him, 71 not out of 53 deliveries, just a class above. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure quite what to make of it on the UAE side of things because, as we'll get to, they were also thrashed by PNG in uh, one of their early tri-series matches later on. So something a bit dodgy going on here with the UAE batting I think. Yeah, it was it was night and day the the first game against Namibia versus the second. I think uh you know, Chicago bowled much better in that that second game mm. and obviously Bernard Schultz was just in his usual unhittable self uh in the second game there took just one wicket but only allowed 15 from 10 overs. 
Uh, he's pretty impressive uh, performer so far in this Cricket World Cup League 2. But that first game, man, you, if you're defending 91 or so, you need contributions from all 10 players on your team. to, And they almost did it, you know, um, taking nine wickets. But, yeah, Namibia bounced back like crazy uh, in, in that in that next game. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. Um, I mean, I think it just goes to show the importance of Bernard Scholz, as you said. You know, he was uh, very miserly in both of these games, and, and that made a big difference uh, on the bowling side of things where he, he had a quiet series in, in that tri-series in Nepal. And, you know, especially in Nepal where, you know, spin bowling can be quite important. The fact that Scholz wasn't quite as uh, as devastating meant that they were a bit light on, in that department. And on the pace side of things, um, Trumperman was impressive in both matches as well. Yeah, yeah, he he was almost the difference. I mean, he, I mean, he was the only person to score a little. He scored basically. It came down to Ian Afsal Khan versus Trumpelman in in that game. The only two to put up any runs at all. It looked kind of like a a scorecard from about 150 years ago. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, yeah, a Canada versus USA scorecard from, uh, you know, 1901 or something. Right, yeah, right, where where your best player t- scores 30 runs and takes three wickets and... <laughs> And that, and then you, and yeah, you win. Yeah, that's a, yeah, interesting. A yeah, very Bart King esque uh, performance from Trumperman, uh, swinging it around uh, with with ball and bat. But um, I was I was interested also in uh, you. You mentioned uh, Chicago bowled a bit better, and I I agree with that. I think he, he he wasn't bowling as short, although he did drop short a couple of times in the in that first game and and got put away. Right. Yeah. His, his economy about five and over that first game which isn't usually going to kill you but when you're defending 91 that's that's not you don't want that but he came back to himself in this in the second there uh pretty pretty well but yeah it's 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 crazy to look at a game where you're trying to defend 91 and point to a guy with a five economy and be like oh this is the reason we lost <laughs> well when everyone else is bowling in the in the twos that, that'll make a difference although i mean you know to be fair there, there was a catch dropped off him which would have tied the match so you know i guess he's got that going in his favor but he did give away the only six of the match um which i i'm pretty sure was on a short ball so yeah in the second game he was he was pitching it up a bit more uh so that i think did make a difference he only gave away one boundary in that in that second match. So, yeah, I mean, good signs, good signs for Shikongo. Uh, Lunga many, as I mentioned last week, you know, he he was tidy without being devastating in, in Nepal. Whereas here, he seems to have found, uh, you know, found the formula. You know, he he took four for twenty and almost almost got Namibia over the line. And um, again, a couple of crucial wickets in the second match. Right. It, it, everyone really bowled well in that second match. They bowled seven bowlers. Uh, and just about all of them had had great numbers. They six of them took wickets. So yeah, they really all contributed on, in that second game to to kind of show off what they're what they're capable of. Yeah, and I mean it was it was the Van Lingen show with the bat in the chase in that second game. And again, it kind of shows the difference what one or two good players standing up can make to the whole performance because they looked a completely different team with with Van Lingen there. He, he was timing it really well, and, and the fact that he was going so hard meant that uh, Lawrence could kind of ease into his role, and, and he just sort of played second fiddle and, and looked very stable as well. And, you know, having a couple of guys put on a big partnership, you know, basically they, they kind of won the match in that, in that partnership. Right, and right. Once you're in that position, everything looks very easy, and... So, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how the same players, the same teams, the same competition, right. 
couple of days makes makes all the difference. And yeah, and even this, the same game, Van Liggins scored seventy one, and he got to sixty of those in a hundred balls fewer than uh, Rizwan did. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that was about. Uh, very strange innings from Rizwan, but yes. As I kind of mentioned earlier, that leaves Namibia on 39 points on the points table, currently sitting in third spot, which means direct qualification to the Cricket World Cup qualifier. Uh, the race for third place, uh, as well as the race to avoid sixth place, uh, which means a potential relegation away from ODI status, is really heating up because we've got the UAE with seven games in hand, Nepal with seven games in hand, uh, PNG with six games in hand, although they're already eliminated. So uh, UAE are on 29 points, 13 wins, and Nepal are on 28 points, 13 wins, with the USA already finished their 36 uh, matches. They're on 16 wins, 35 points, which means that if the UAE win the same number of games as Nepal, they'll stay ahead of Nepal. But for the UAE to overtake Namibia, they'll need at least five wins and a tie, or a no result, I suppose, um, or potentially six wins out of their next seven games. So that's a that's a tough ask. So that 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 win that Namibia got in the last game might end up being crucial here. And it's it's almost um, as we move into looking at the League Two uh, tri series that's ongoing in the UAE now. Um, the the UAE lost to PNG which means that they now have uh, yeah, a very tough ask. And Nepal, meanwhile, are on a five-match uh, hot streak, and they might very well sort of come up the inside and that miraculous, uh, you know, <laughs> miraculous <laughs> qualification pathway that we talked about before um, might, might right. very well end up happening if, if they can keep it together. And meanwhile, on the other end of things, the race to avoid sixth place gets very tricky for the UAE because... They have a worse head-to-head record against the USA, and and the tiebreaker if the teams end up equal on points. So, for example, if the UAE only win say three of their next games, and they end up on 35 points, they'll end up behind the USA because they would have the same number of wins as the USA, and yeah. the USA have a better head-to-head record. So it's looking quite dicey for the UAE at the moment, and suddenly your boys are breathing a bit easier. Everyone, everyone though. <laughs> at the moment, is the world's biggest PNG fan. So we can <laughs> maybe talk about PNG just to start off with and then kind of move on to the other two teams. And it's it's kind of funny because we saw in the first match of the Tri-Series uh, on the 27th of February, uh, Papua New Guinea lost to Nepal in what was basically the most generic Papua New Guinea performance ever. <laughs> <laughs> the top order struggled. Uh, Asad Vala you know, held things together from the middle order. Uh, and then he got out, and Chad Soper scraped them uh, over the line of, of 200 with a with a sort of gritty, unbeaten knock down the order. And then you know their bowlers were tidy, but you know not really creating enough trouble. And the opponents, in this case Nepal, cruised home after 45 overs with uh, four wickets to spare, which is yeah. Uh, you could pretty much write that with a predictive text or, or a chatbot. You know, this kind of... Um, I feel like I've read this match report a number of times already. Asad Vala right. backing up with uh, with the ball and, and, and taking three for 37 with his off spin. You know, the, the PNG seamers just kind of taking a couple of wickets here and there. But uh, someone... In this case, Kushal Botel for Nepal, uh, batting well enough that you know they, they were never really in trouble. So that game was uh, the most generic Papua New Guinea performance ever. Yeah, like you said, 
you know, even those uh, AI chats that their database is two years old, you know, they could have written that. <laughs> <laughs> they could have uh, could have predicted that. I mean, we can touch on their win in a second, but I don't know what it says about this team that they do the exact same thing every game, and and it's very predictable. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. It's it, it's it's kind of funny because that's not even the weird the weird. You know, ah, oh, okay, yeah, for a PNG. Let's take let's take a look at what PNG did did today. I bet I can tell you. And then all of a sudden, boom, they beat UAE. You know, they've lost twenty six. They've won three. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's and this is when they choose to win the one the one out of the three. It's it happens right now when everything. You know the the waters couldn't be murkier, and, and they somehow <laughs> managed to murky them up even more. It's it's really it's, it's really unbelievable. I mean, w- three wins out of thirty—that is pretty pretty terrible. Yeah, and and yet they put together a, a pretty good performance in, in this tri series. You know, it, it all came together for them. Tony Euro hit a half century off not very many deliveries uh, with a bunch of boundaries. Tessy Bow top scored with with seventy four. Asad Vala didn't score many runs so it's kind of opposite day um, <laughs> and uh yeah i mean the the uae bowling you could argue they were really lacking um carnigan because he he just provides that um you know that penetration with with his left arm finger spin Kartik mayapan again was impressive though with the ball took four wickets in, in this game against png you know they were bowled out for a 262 i mean you know they were what three for 200 and 30-odd after 40 overs, so it looked like, for a while there, it looked like they were definitely going to hit 300, which might have been nice for them, but, um, you know, it, was, it ended up being plenty because they bowled out the UAE for 131. Right, yeah, it, the PNG might be the best example in the world of, you know, how different one-day cricket is to T20 cricket. If you look at I don't think PNG is going to lose three out of 30 T20 games against the same competition. You know, mm. they're a much better T20 team, but but they might be the perfect example of that there's quite a difference between being a decent T20 team and being a decent ODI team. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that their best players here, I mean, well, I say here, but just in general, are guys like Chad Soper, who took a 5 for, five for 25 against the UAE. He plays a lot of cricket in Australia in the grade system where right. you do play a bit longer. Um, Asad Vala has definitely played in Australia. And, and of course, he has that Intercontinental Cup experience from a number of years ago where I think he was one of the best players in that Intercontinental Cup. He averaged well over 60, hit a number of... I, I saw him hit a century against Ireland. Um, you know, he, he's... He's a good long-form player, and I mean, you can actually tell that in the way he plays T20 cricket, where you know a lot of the time he, he's slightly slower than you would want, but they just keep him in the team because <laughs> he, he's the most stable batter they've got. But yeah, so that I mean, the UAE's batting suddenly is looking very poor, and you talk about the T20 comparison. Mohammed Wazim um, has hit a couple of sort of quick-fire knocks at the top of the order, which is fine in T20 cricket and and he he was going hard at the top for them in that series against Afghanistan where they where they won a game and and all the games were like were were relatively close. Right. So it it kind of shows the difference that both in terms of the format but just just having one guy who's in red hot form in T20 can kind of get you over the line whereas you do get found out in the longer formats and and they're finding that. And so are we going to see them drop out? I don't know. It's 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 kind of bizarre because they looked very settled in the in the t20 format and 
now we're swapping back to 50 over cricket and they're just missing something. No um, Ahmed Raza though, which again is, is kind of notable. I'm, I'm not sure where he is or why he's not playing. Uh, they've brought Rohan Mustafa back into the fold and, and he bowled well, but... Yeah, I'm not sure where 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 Ahmed Raza's got to. And it's you know they have played like you said they've played a lot of cricket lately. So you really would have thought if you had to bet your life on that game against PNG, you wouldn't have even thought twice about saying UAE because a they're a, they're a good team, and b they've played so much lately against good competition, and now they're heading in to play Nepal, who they're neck and neck against right now, having and they're going to face Nepal having just lost in a big way to PNG. So it, it's really going to test their, test them out emotionally. Yeah, and I guess we can get on to Nepal now. And, I mean, they won in a pretty predictable way against Papua New Guinea, as we referred to. But the kind of off-field uh, chicanery, you might call it, between their first game and their second game is notable, I think. Right, yeah, definitely, I would say so. <laughs> We've seen Sandeep Lamachane in that time has been allowed to leave the country by the Nepali uh, judicial authorities. Uh, As part of his bail, he was originally not allowed to leave the country uh, and had to submit his passport, but apparently he's been deemed uh, not to be a flight risk so they've they've let him uh, let him out of the country and that's that's really kind of funny that the guy who spent three weeks in hiding abroad uh, before uh, Interpol dragged him back is considered not a flight risk so uh, you know uh, yeah I mean his his side of the story is that he uh, voluntarily came back um, I, I think, look <laughs> I don't, again, as I've said in, in previous episodes, I, I don't want to comment too much on the legal aspects of stuff until, you know, the verdict is, is reached right, and, right. and we know, um, you know, what's going on from a legal perspective. But from a moral perspective, we can certainly comment on, on the Cricket Association of Nepal's uh, behaviour here. And um, we saw, as you know, simultaneously to uh, Sandeep having his bail conditions modified, uh, we saw the most predictable injury in cricket since Sultan Zarawani <laughs> decided he didn't need a helmet against Alan Donald. <laughs> and um, a a rather unknown Nepali player called Musam Dakhal has s- somehow suffered a freak shoulder injury in the nets, which is uh, very mysterious and um, extremely coincidental and convenient for uh, Nepal to fly in Sandeep as an injury replacement for for young Darkhole, which, I mean, if you look at the kind of Twitter comments underneath the announcement, uh, not even the Nepali fans really seem to believe that that this guy was uh, injured so badly that he needed to be sent home. Finally, something we can all agree on. Uh, (laughs) The fact that this is not a surprise, you know, it's... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, two weeks ago, you and I were doing this 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 uh, show together, and I made the terrible mistake, which I should have known, having known what what Nepal has been capable of in the past, of me making the terrible mistake of saying, "Oh yeah, there's there's there pretty much is no chance." Uh, you know, I was arguing that they should bring somebody new into the team in- instead of Sandeep, regardless of this whole issue, just just to get somebody some time uh, ahead of the qualifier playoff. And now Nepal's just in that space of two weeks, they've won five in a row and they've they've changed everything. And then they've changed everything. We we all thought a couple of weeks ago that even if he could play, even if Sandeep did play at their eight home games, there were 
were four in UAE, which according to the terms of his bail, he wouldn't have been able to make. Of course, that we know that changed. Uh, there was that ESPN Quick Info article, which seemed to say that Nepal requested approval for Sandeep to be a part of this team, which doesn't make any sense at all until we see the injury. And now it makes sense because now they're saying we need to change our squad because we've had an injury. And that's why you would ask the ICC. Uh, ESPN Quick Info article did not pose it that way and actually released that article before Sandeep was even announced into the team as a injury replacement. <laughs> yes, the, the timing here is very interesting. <laughs> it's a remarkable foresight from a cricket board to ask for an injury replacement before the injury actually happens. Right. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible foresight. You know, so maybe actually Nepal's cricket board is actually a genius. <laughs> we give them a lot of a, a lot of flack, but you know, maybe we're the ones that are crazy. <laughs> Look, as as Burtis de Jong said, I don't think it's necessarily a big deal to allow teams to change their squads. You know, it's not sure. a, an ICC kind of like a tournament event in the same way as say a, a you know a World Cup qualifier. So you know, in terms of the result, fine. You know, yeah. change your team if you want to, but right, yeah, just just going through this kind of uh, rigmarole, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, he's injured. I don't, I don't know. It's, it doesn't look good. Yeah, and it's weird. It's it's just weird. And uh, why would the ICC need to approve him? <laughs> and this was the this was what we were asking when that article came out before the injury was announced. Why would the ICC have to approve him for something they already that he already he just played a week ago in Nepal? Why would they have to approve him to be a part of the team now? Well, now. We know that that was an injury request, so it's just it's just weird that that whole ESPN Quick Info article was weird in the first place. Once again, they named his crime as sexual coercion, which isn't even true. He's he's not being accused of sexual coercion. He's being accused of rape, statutory rape and rape. So <laughs> that whole article was weird. But now we know why it was weird in that one way. Yeah, it was it was pretty gobbled. I, yeah, I'm I'm not I mean, this is uh, perhaps getting into the weeds of, of reporting. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confused about why Crick and for going with this quasi legal sounding thing of sexual coercion. Yeah, when it, that's that's not the legal term in Nepal. Uh, yeah, it's very yeah, strange. I, I don't, I don't get that. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally, totally agree with Bertus that yeah, you, you're going to be playing four ODIs. So yeah, fly in the replacement, you know. But yeah, I mean, I'm, it's just really fishy. But yes, as we record, Nepal are playing their second game of the Tri Series uh, against the UAE, and the Tri Series will of course lay itself out over the next few days and conclude on the sixth of March, and then after that, the same three teams all fly back to Kathmandu. Uh, between the 9th and 16th of March, where they'll play the last of the Cricket World Cup League 2 series and uh, quite possibly determine uh, who gets ODI status, who gets relegated, who goes to the World Cup qualifier, all sorts of exciting things. And, and, and it's been a great conclusion, uh, much as you know, much as we kind of joke about <laughs> some of the funny business here, but it's, it's been a great conclusion to a, a really brilliant tournament over, over the last, um, well, sort of four years or so. Um, but elsewhere in the world, there's uh, some other qualifying cricket going on. Argentina is hosting in Buenos Aires the Americas qualifier, uh, which is a sub-regional at this point. Um, and the top three teams out of Argentina, Bahamas, Bermuda, Cayman Islands and Panama will all be joining Canada in the regional final, which is going to be held in Bermuda. 
And with the final round of matches still to be played, Bermuda have already qualified for that regional final with, with three wins in their first three games. Yeah, pretty dominant performance at this level. Delray Rawlins back in the team, captaining, um, you know, scoring runs, taking wickets. Same for Kamal Levrock, who notched up Bermuda's first T20I century. Uh, he scored 103 of 58 deliveries against Panama, backed up with 2 for 15 with the ball. Uh, you know, Bermuda really are, they're definitely a step above uh, everyone else at this level. Whereas what has been pleasing is that it's, it's pretty tight tussle between the other four teams. So, you know, two out of those four are going to make it through. Argentina lost in an upset to Panama. So that's kind of an interesting uh, situation for them that... They need to win their last two games and probably win them quite comprehensively to, to make sure that they can qualify after you would have thought they were the clear second best uh, team at this level. Um, but yeah, Bermuda won their first match against the Cayman Islands by 96 runs, uh, beat Argentina by 110 runs, and then <laughs> beat Panama by 60 runs. So yeah, pretty dominant performance from them. Although will be interesting to see, you know, when they're coming up against Canada, are, are they going to be able to to put up a fight? Because last time in the regional final, last time Bermuda didn't manage to beat Canada, and so with only one qualification spot available from this regional final this time, beating up on Argentina is one thing. Uh, sure. M- getting past Canada is another, but that that's a that's a tomorrow problem for Bermuda. Uh, congratulations to them for already qualifying. Yeah, and and you know it was good quality streams. The production was pretty good. You know, also Bermuda's social team did a pretty good job covering the event um, on, mm. on Twitter, which was nice to see. It's nice to see these. It's not, you know, it's nice to see these things happen because we can't take them for granted uh, that they that they will. You know, especially amongst teams outside of the Cricket World Cup League Two. But yeah, Bermuda's showing that they're a, that they're a good squad. I am definitely curious to see how they do against Canada. Uh, Pubudu's had had his some time with that that team now. They're looking pretty strong. So look, really looking forward to that. And once again, every time I see any of these teams, <laughs> every time I watch any of these teams, I think, man, how great would it be to have just a regular tri series Bermuda, Canada, and USA, or even just bring back the Audi Cup. Bring back the Audi Cup. Yeah, I mean, you and I, we probably are going to lose ten years of our lives <laughs> <laughs> talking, talking of just you know, just begging for the Audi Cup to come back. Yeah, right, begging for the just just uh, the the extra stress on our hearts just from talking about this one thing is definitely going to take years off of our lives. But but that would be great. The Audi Cup would be great. I love the idea of getting Bermuda in the mix, playing them, having them play here more often. But they did come to Florida uh, to do some warm ups for this trip and ended up playing against some basically some club teams here because uh usa you know doesn't have the money to to send players uh to there so but anyways uh yeah it's it, rawlings and, and kamau uh Leberock look look absolutely fantastic as we expect them to and you know there's been a lot of stuff on social media this week about how the two of them are you know fantastic how Leberock should be in more uh in more leagues around the world more franchise leagues and hey minor league cricket owners get the, get on the phone with this guy <laughs> Well, I mean, Rawlins does play a lot of his cricket in the UK in, in the yep. county system. Um, yeah, true. So I, I can't see why Leverock wouldn't be able to do the same. And I don't know, the, the hundreds coming up. I'm not sure if he registered in the draft, but um, unlike a lot of other associate players, Bermuda players are actually allowed to come to the UK as cricketers uh, under their visa system. So you know, it looks like a pretty good opportunity for someone to, to pick up Kamau. 
And just another piece of trivia that I, I thought was interesting, and you know, maybe we've mentioned it before, but uh, Raymond Seeley, the Cayman Islands captain, has uh, also played soccer as a goalkeeper for their national team. So uh, always always nice to see a dual international. Agree. It's a good advertisement. Kids, get out there. All the kids that listen to this podcast, go and play as many sports as you can. Go have fun and learn as much as you can from all the different sports. Well, we've also got an interview on this show, so we've got to cut it short here, Nate, but always a pleasure to catch up with you. Yeah, it's it's great. You know, this is the second time in, in three weeks. I think that, uh, you know, I don't think the other guys have anything to worry about, though. So <laughs> it's always great to come on. <laughs> it's great to, to be a part when I'm invited. Well, it helps that uh, Tim is currently suffering through a, <laughs> a cyclone over in Vanuatu. So he's a, a bit busy with um, staying alive. So you, you, the natural disaster has worked well to your advantage here, Nate. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, it's, you know, hopefully everything's okay. <laughs> I'm Paul Redley, sports writer for the National in the UAE. You're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Now, before we get to Nate and my interview with Spain men's coach Corey Rutgers after they beat Isle of Man 5-0, including a record-breaking final match, a couple of updates on match results that played out since we recorded. In League 2, the UAE kept their heads above water as they beat Nepal by 68 runs. Rohan Mustafa was the star for the hosts. He hit 52 not out to help them post 8 for 207 in their 50 overs. He then bagged two catches and took 3 for 31 in a well-deserved player of the match performance as they bundled out Nepal for just 139. Nepal then also kept their hopes alive for a top three finish, as they scraped across the line against PNG. Chasing a target of 180, they slumped to 7 for 105, before opener Asif Sheikh held his nerve with a patient 86 not out of 130 deliveries, to get Nepal home with three wickets and 12 balls to spare. Crosstown in Ajman, meanwhile, the ICC Under-19's Asia Division 1 tournament played out, with Nepal claiming top spot and the only available slot at next year's Men's Under-19's World Cup. They beat the hosts UAE in a thriller on the last day, a de facto final as both teams had won all their prior group matches. Sent in at the toss, Nepal posted 191 in 48.5 overs, and the hosts looked to be ahead in a nervy chase, needing just seven runs from the last three overs, with three wickets in hand. But a remarkable 48th from left-arm orthodox Depeche Kandal saw him grab a hat-trick and complete a five-wicket haul to close out the innings and seal qualification by seven runs. The rest of the ladder was Singapore third, Hong Kong fourth, Malaysia fifth, and Kuwait bringing up the rear in sixth place. Elsewhere in Asia, and Thailand hosted the ACC Men's Challenger Cup, which serves as effectively a sub-regional for the Asia Cup qualifier to be played next month, and it featured eight teams, Bhutan, Maldives, Bahrain, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, Thailand, and Myanmar. Bahrain and Bhutan made it out of Group A, while Saudi Arabia and Thailand qualified to the semis from Group B. Unfortunately for the hosts, they couldn't make it past Bahrain, while Saudi Arabia cruised to an easy win against Bhutan. So the full list of teams at the Asia Cup qualifier will now be Kuwait, Nepal, Qatar, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain in Group 1, and Hong Kong, Malaysia, Oman, Singapore and Saudi Arabia in Group 2. And now it's time for our interview with Corey Rutgers. Hello, I'm Norman Vanua. I play for PNG. I am a bowling all-rounder, and you're listening to the Imagine Cricket Podcast. <laughs>
Well, Emerging Cricket is glad to be joined this week by Corey Rutgers, current uh, head coach of the Spanish men's team and also a regular commentator on the ECN uh, cricket that's been blasting away across the European continent for a, well, <laughs> it, it seems like it never stops. Corey, welcome. Ah, thanks very much, boys. Thanks for having me. Now, let's start off with your sort of national team duties uh, that were happening recently. And, and of course, as the head coach of Spain, you successfully won a series 5-0 against the Isle of Man. That was uh, originally set to be five matches, but it ended up being six uh, with a catch-up uh, after a match was abandoned due to rain. Uh, we can we can touch on that. You know, the series being played at the Lamanga Club, one of the ideas of which being that it doesn't rain very much there. But uh, I guess the first sort of a headline is the final match, the sixth T20I, where Isle of Man were bowled out for 10 and Spain chased it in two legitimate deliveries. Uh, a number of records fell, including the largest margin of victory uh, being 118 balls remaining. I, I can't really imagine that being beaten. Um, Isle of Man's total also eclipsed the Sydney Thunder to make it the lowest in all uh, recognised 2020 matches. Uh, Mohamed Kamran became the first Spanish bowler to take a hat-trick as well, so that was nice on your side of things. Basically, you know, you bowl the team out for 10. What happened? Yeah, pretty hard to surmise this. It was only uh, a few days ago, and I think um, the the traction afterwards has been massive. Obviously, a lot of people around the, the world want to know what's happened in this game because we didn't have a stream up for this series. Um, yeah, well, I, I always find it quite funny, the, the stories behind the story. So it was actually an hour before the game. And because it was the sixth T20 on the schedule, our bowling unit was exhausted. The boy, we were, me and Chris Munoz Mills were having a talk about who are we going to get to bowl this game? Because everybody wanted to rest. <laughs> In the end, with a lot of convincing and a lot of uh, rubbing of the shoulders of uh, a couple of my quick bowlers and asking them for one more push. Yeah, it just, it just happened so quickly. We won the toss, elected to have a bowl first. We've been a little bit more of a chasing side in the last year and a half since I've taken over. And before you know it, obviously you set up your little coaches area with your notebook and the boys around the field and a little bit of nerves always before a T20I. I think uh, the first ball of the game is a strangle down the leg side. So straight away you think, okay, there's a little bit of luck caught by the keeper, nice take. And the umpires talked for a bit over it. So it's one for none. And you get into the second over and uh, Atif Mahmood, another very good left arm swing bowler, gets one through the gate. It's two for, I think, four at this stage. And then I think from the third overs, when it started to get a little bit weird, you could say. Well, I, I wouldn't say weird. It's hard to describe. Um, Mohamed Kamran, I don't think many people know about him outside of Europe, but this guy's making a huge name for himself. He was actually bowling in the nets to England about seven or eight years ago was clocked at 147 so he's a bit he's a bit older now but he still gets it through and um yeah he got it got it correct in that third over he got three in swinging Yorkers on the trot bold LB bold and before you know it's five for five and it just kept going like this all of a sudden six for six seven for seven I was standing at this stage obviously so I didn't know what was going on I, I spoke to my strength and conditioning coach Alistair and said this isn't normal. He and my strength and conditioning coach comes from a rugby background. <laughs> he, he, was, he didn't really understand what was going on either because I've never seen anything like it. And then it got to about, I think it was eight wickets down. And usually when these things happen, I mean, I watched the Sydney Thunder collapse. I've played a lot of cricket myself and been involved in collapses. Yeah, I think we all got a, got a few flashbacks to some disastrous performances. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's normal we all go to those flashbacks. But usually there's a couple of edges or a leg buys before or one batsman clicks for 10 minutes. 
it just never happened. It just never came. And they defended a couple of overs pretty aptly, the ninth wicket. And then the, the, they saw the two opening bowls off. But yeah, it was eight for 10 at that stage. And then Lorne Burns, um, our leg spinners, come on, taking the uh, the tail out. And before you know it, they're walking off and it's 10 for 10. It, it's still, yeah, it's a bit beggar's belief. I don't know how it really happened. It just happened because we played them in the morning and Isle of Man are not that poor at cricket. At, like they really are. They hit us to get for 134 in the morning. So it's just one of those perfect storms. Everything right happened. The ball was swinging late. I think the skip put himself in slip for one ball, edge straight to slip. Just one of those circumstances. Everything went went right for the team. Yeah. Well, the thing that got me was there were no runouts. Usually in a collapse like this, there's at least one or two, you know, comedy disaster runouts. No, there, there wasn't anything that was out of normal. It was the ball swinging late. It went through the gate a few times. There was a a few edges behind the wicket. Um, one or two of them came in and thought, well, let's just counter attack. And I sort of get that thinking as well. At five for five, you might as well try and be uh, aggressive and change the tune of the game. But they got, they just hit it flat straight to mid off or mid on. It was really weird. It was really odd. And yeah, I, I, I sort of feel for them a little bit because they're not that bad a team. I've seen some of the comments going around online. But no, Isle of Man play decent cricket and. Yeah, it's just a, a perfect storm of the situation. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they, they, like you said, they put up 132 against you in the game before. Yeah, this, it's, you know, it's kind of a shame that, that the, a BBL team doesn't still have this record, you know? Yeah, in a funny way, yes, because, well, Sydney Thunder probably need to send us a, a postcard and say gracias <laughs> on it or something like that, um, because we've done them a massive favor. I actually watched that Sydney Thunder collapse. Um, I live in the Netherlands still, and I watched that, and I thought, well, that's, that record's going to stand for quite some time. I never in, my wildest, <laughs> never in my wildest dreams thought two months later I'd be involved in the game that it got beaten. So, yeah, it's, it's hard, to, hard to surmise. And then we walked off, and we actually, when the guys came off, Obviously, they had big smiles because uh, they were also a bit um, starstruck at what's going on. And then uh, we actually had a little bit of a team huddle at the halfway stage and said, Let, look, don't over-celebrate this. Don't, don't show some respect to the opposition because the dugouts aren't, if you've been to many associate games, you're actually quite close to each other. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about being humble and being professional, um, which I thought was good because we didn't want to rub any salt into the wound. We understood the situation was quite rare and then we went out to bat and the first ball i didn't catch the first ball but one of the boys has told me and this it sounds odd because they didn't bowl one ball off the pitch the whole tournament and for whatever reason the opening balls bowled a ball off the pitch i don't know how he's managed that so it's a no ball we get a free hit the free hit goes for six and all of a sudden you only need three or four to win so the opening batsman thinks well i might as well chance my arm and he hits another six and that was it and it's still very odd to get my head around what had gone on because it's the last thing I ever would have expected. Chasing two balls, that's that's pretty <laughs> pretty amazing. That's that's one of those yeah, mind boggling scorecards that you you see in a record book somewhere and you just think, What? Yeah, I don't think that record will go for a long time. Maybe the ten gets beaten, but even if you bowl a team out for six, you still gotta go hit that first ball for six. So yeah, it's just a, a crazy, crazy amount of things conspired for that to happen. And the the thing is, though, I mean, Isle of Man were ranked 39th and we're ranked 36th. So it wasn't like it was a, a super outweighted match or anything like that. It's two teams that are meant to be near the same talent level. So 
just added to it. It was a little bit like the Sydney Thunder collapse in a way. Well, right. When you guys arrange this schedule, this uh, this meetup here, you know, you're thinking five games against a pretty, you know, a, a close team, a, a team that's, that's capable of giving you a really good series here. And it looks like up until that, it wasn't a bad series at all. Yeah, no, it's a good series for our guys. We've gone through a lot of development since um, I've taken over in the last 14 months. And I know a lot of people talk often about qualifiers and ICC qualifiers, but I've made it pretty evident to the guys, our aim's actually to get back into the 50 over cricket and get back into the challenge leagues. So for us, we're trying to be quite clever and smart about who we're playing, when we're playing them and using our, our facilities as, of Spain how we can play basically 11 months a year to get as much cricket under the belt with a new look squad to climb the rankings as quickly as possible because we still have a very small window to get into the challenge league playoff for 50 over cricket by September 1st so yeah Isle of Man we thought we were a good opposition to bring over because also a young team they had good ranking points that if we were to play well we'd be able to get quite a boost and and thankfully the guys were able to do that. Now it's interesting you touch on the the, the ranking situation there because that is something that comes up a fair bit in terms of the ICC structures being very much dependent on rankings a a lot of the time and, and you know the rankings algorithm is kind of a black box in a lot of ways so it's uh it's interesting that you're you're sort of you've, you've deliberately targeted that is there was there some kind of uh strategy meeting or or you know something along those lines where you sort of looked at all your options in terms of how you can go up the ladder and and that was the thing that stood out was was trying to sort of move, use the ranking system 100 percent, 100 percent. i don't think it gets talked about enough that there is ways that you can uh i won't not the word manipulate, but there is the ways that you can utilize uh, the system to get your team to where it needs to be. And I think there's quite a lot of countries that don't realize that. And I've got a bit of good help from a good friend of mine who you probably also know, Bertus de Jong. Him and I have got a little bit of a database that we go through to, uh, we both live in the Netherlands, to look at teams and what value you might be able to get out of series to help you get to positions you need to be by cutoff dates. Uh, the way it's going to to get into different leagues and to get 50 over cricket back, you have to be quite smart about what you're doing. Just playing a series against anybody and losing one or two can really be detrimental to what your country is trying to achieve. So I've made it quite clear, look, it would be nice to win ICC qualifiers and get through to the next stages and be on the precipices of World Cups. But overall, the main aim should be trying to become a multi-formatted country. How can we earn that 50 over cricket back? How can we be playing more formats? Because that's what's going to be attractive to the players is that we're not just playing T20s, we're also playing 50s and we're playing uh, in this new T10 concept on the ECN network also. Yeah, Burtis does uh, a lot of good work both with spreadsheets and uh, rankings. So that's right. um, that's that's interesting that you, you mentioned him. Um, yeah, can you can you imagine a better secret weapon right there for this purpose? <laughs> I can safely say I was with Burtis today. He's in Malaga, actually come and watch the ECN and we've spent a bit of time in front of those spreadsheets today. So he's my uh, inside info, but no... I think there would be also other European nations and nations around the world that would be looking at the ranking system. And there is ways to, to organise series where you think it can be bigger be- beneficially for your country, especially if teams are maybe inside 40 points, outside 40 points, their form. There's a lot that goes into it. But I think the way that cricket's going and with everything that's on the line, 
you have to be smart and well, pretty on it to look after your national program. Yeah, I think Burtis should set up a subscription system there for for some of those teams. No, I don't, I don't think I've, I've promised him a couple of uh, Victoria Cervezas if he helps me. So I think he's pretty happy with that. <laughs> Just on that though, you are you are kind of moving up the rankings, and and that's a sort of a deliberate strategy. But it's one that obviously can't really go anywhere if you don't have the the talent on the field to sort of back it up. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in both in, in terms of the, the new look squad that you mentioned, and um, obviously um, Christian Munoz is, is sort of a, a fixture in this team, but there's a number of guys who've come in um, more re- recently. But also back home, the club scene in Spain seems to be uh, you know getting a lot bigger, a lot quicker. Yeah, I think it's a yeah, it's not just that. You're you're correct. So coming over, I think for me the very first thing is taking over the role and going through all the old scorecards and everything they've done over the last few years is that there it had been a quite a closed group that was playing in the national team. And straight away, um, my first thoughts were, we need to grow this, expand this and make this bigger. Uh, I was very lucky to be sort of taught a lot through um, Dean Jones, who was one of my first coaching mentors. And then I worked with Ryan Campbell. And I remember how um, Cambo used to show me a lot about how to set up programs and, and squad sizing was a big thing to him. Um, so that was about one of the very first things I did, getting around to the clubs, looking at all the talent over the country, also outsourcing a little bit. Um, Spain had never really had anyone that might have been from South Africa or Australia that had a Spanish passport. Um, and But also the local talent. There, there, There's a huge club base in Spain compared to uh, behind London and behind England. We have the second most clubs up in Barcelona. I think there's about 50 plus clubs playing cricket up there and some amazing talent. You also look at the South region and then you look at Alicante. There's cricket everywhere, but it was sort of an untapped source. No one had gotten on their bike or caught a quick plane and gone and looked. So the first 14 months have been a bit of a talent pool and that's still a revolving door at the moment. I think we had 14 uh, debutants, 11 in the T20 format and three or four in the T10 format. So they've all made their T20, 11 have made T20 debuts and actually fit in really well and showed that they can be comfortable against teams like Germany and Italy. So this is good signs for me because I want to keep growing it at a rapid pace to make us be a top 30 nation. And in my eyes, we're not actually that far away. Um, I was sort of lucky that with the, the ECN, we get to play in this T10 ECC and we got to put our boys up against the Netherlands 11, Scottish 11, English 11 and Irish 11. And we were the only team in the comp to beat all four. So there's good signs. It's just we need to d- develop these players now. We've found the group we want to work with. I think it's a 27-man uh, national squad and keep working with them as much as possible in the next few years. Yeah, all, you, you've touched on the ECN, ECL influence, the European Cricket Network and and the sort of televised T10 um, I guess, traveling carnival of, of cricket that goes on across the European continent. Uh, th- there's a lot of that uh, happening in Spain, both because of the facilities, which you know we can we can talk about in a minute, but also just in terms of, um, as you've alluded to, you know there are a lot of cricket clubs in Spain. Um, so I- I'm interested in how you see the kind of the symbiosis, I guess, between the Spanish club scene and the, the European cricket project that Dan Weston has running, and then how that kind of feeds back into the national team and the success that you're you're trying to create there at, at a at an international level. Well, I think um, Dan Weston and us, uh, obviously involved with Cricket Espana, have a very healthy partnership. He runs two of his biggest events here in Spain. And I'm sort of lucky. I work for both companies, so I have a good relationship with both. And 
And yeah, they were always on the table having some good chats uh, about how constructive we can make the future for Spanish cricket. Um, and it's what Dan Weston's been able to achieve with the televising of games in Europe has just helped a huge amount of exposure. So for me personally, as a coach, I remember last year he had the ECL on and they were telling me that there's a team called a Paco Care Badalona who are coming to play in it um, as the Spanish reps. And I hadn't had a chance to see this team at that stage yet. Um, and they ended up going on to win it and they ended up being the English club in the final. And two of those players that played in the final now are in the T20 program. If Dan Weston didn't have the ECL on in Spain and these teams weren't making it, would I have ever got a chance to see them? Maybe, maybe not. That's just a little bit of luck if they had gone under the radar. So um, this televising of cricket is making all these players in Europe want to play on the air. They want to join a club and it's really raising the profile overall. But especially in Spain, where we're blessed with the weather and, and with the partnership we have with ECN. So... Without the ECSs, the smaller domestic events, the big event, the ECL and ECC, you have for five weeks each year in October and now in February going on in March. So that's 10 weeks a year. And then if you add the ECSs, there's maybe 15 to 18 weeks televised in Spain a year. And that is, yeah, it's massive. It is massive. I think they're putting together 1,500 games this year. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, it reminds me of like the old days when Kerry Packer started World Series cricket. Right now, ECN have found an oyster that is just booming. It was just the other night. I was laying in a, a hotel room and I flicked it on and I was watching the Netherlands women play the Italian women in Gibraltar. And um, this was on a Tuesday night. And if you said that to people five years ago, you'd be watching the Netherlands women play the Italian women in Gibraltar in a T10 with good coverage, good commentators, and look, it's all run well. You'd say it's mad, but it's working and it's really exciting to be a part of. Oh, it, it makes a huge difference to have a good quality broadcast. Like you said, it, it brings a lot of eyes to your product, but it, but really what it does is it makes your league the thing that everybody wants to play in. And that brings the better players, like you've said, it brings the better players out in front of you as someone who's recruiting talent, who's looking for talent, trying to recognize up and coming talent. And minor league cricket's kind of done a lot of the same thing here in the USA, whereas yeah. before our, our, our USA is a huge country, and and it's difficult to to identify talent when you have all these disparate leagues all over the place. And now we have one that has you know twenty six teams in it that are playing coast to coast, where all the stats are organized, very good broadcast uh, quality, and that makes a massive difference. And so now. You're seeing new players in the USA team who who weren't identified before. And, you know, it, it, I, I don't think people really realize how big of a deal it is to have a, a good quality broadcast. But but it's great that you're, you guys are, are, are maximizing that and bringing some attention to that. Yeah, 100%. And big thanks to Spring Productions who do a lot of the work for the ACN. Um, no, it's fantastic. You're right. You give the players a, a couple of good cameras and they want to get out there and they want to show their talent. And as a coach, well, I'm lucky, first of all, that I get to commentate because I get to go on the road <laughs> quite a lot. But uh, I've been able to watch events all over Spain. And with the T10 vessel, sometimes in T20 cricket, you're a little bit more nervous about just handing someone a debutante cap because you don't know if they're going to fit that system and it's meant to be a big thing to make it. T10's a little bit looser like that. You can put someone under the pump, see their abilities. You still have to be a good fielder, hit your zones as a bowler or a batsman. And you can actually open up your playing pool quite a lot. So 
this T10 oyster that Dan Weston's been able to create all over Europe, but specifically Spain, has been massively beneficial for, for myself as a coach. Yeah, and I guess the other sort of pillar of that, both in terms of the ECN system and, you know, Spain more specifically, is the facilities and and we saw the series against the isle of man being played at um lamanga yes we've got quite a few venues that we can play so we just played that one at lamanga um but previously we played all our series last year at desert springs and desert springs in almeria is this beautiful turf venue where the county teams are now going to to do their warm-ups i think derbyshire are there at the moment doing their their summer warm-up preparation and it's an ODI-recognised ground. Um, you've got Cardama doing the T10s and you've got Lamunga as well that's also hosted a lot of T20i. So uh, we've got these three venues that are just fantastic that all host different things. I mean, we want to try and launch the first ever 50-over ODIs here in Spain at Desert Springs soon enough if we can get maybe Netherlands and Ireland interested in coming in and playing in the sun. So... Yeah, it's a Spanish cricket at the moment. This little, this little egg that is now starting to hatch, and it's it's only going to go up from here. It sort of feels well. Just that Cartama oval, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Um, well, yeah, here here we go. Yeah, it looks a lot to me <laughs> like it looks a lot to me like Church Street Park here in Morrisville, North Carolina, which has become pretty much the crown jewel of American cricket grounds. It's a it's a beautiful it's right in the middle of a community where a lot of people can walk to it but it but visually it's it's very attractive it's not full of empty plastic seats a lot like that Kartama oval which just has gorgeous you know nature all around it but i wanted to know about how quickly that venue fills up its its calendar for the year it's kind of you know, you, you have a nice venue like that, immediately it's full probably for the year uh, as, as far as the schedule goes. And that's a very good thing, but it just creates the presence of one really nice ground, at least here, t- tends to create the demand for, for more grounds that's very hard to keep up with. Is that is that the case there in Spain? Uh, not so much at the moment. Not so much at the moment. I think Cardamom Oval is a fantastic ground, but realistically it's maybe three months a year that it looks like that and is used like that. The calendar isn't fully full to to have 12-month demand there because the ECN is a bit of a roadshow as well. Uh, it does go to every country in Europe, so there is a couple, uh, quite a bit of dormant time. I can't let all the secrets out straight away, but I do think the development at Cardamoval is going to be quite high in the next few years and the demand to be using it 12 months a year will happen. Right. Right. Um, so that w- will get to that stage, not just yet though. And on a national sense as well, we still want to be able to give our, all our grounds in Spain, some hosting rights. We want to be able to play at Desert Springs or Lamunga or Cardamaring and make sure every area is still getting their full amount of international cricket. Kind of a, a good problem to have, isn't it? To, to be deciding which grounds you choose to use for international or premium cricket. Yeah. Well, I, I was brought up in Australia, so I used to enjoy waking up. You'd watch a test at the Gabba or you watched a, a test at the MCG or Sydney. I don't think you can have a home of cricket that feels maybe like it's your number one. Like Desert Springs, admittedly, with its turf facilities, is probably our number one when we want to play turf cricket. But that doesn't mean we should just limit ourselves to playing only there. We have to be able to show the game to all regions because I, I remember on the weekend, actually, when we were playing Isle of Man, we, we had some supporters and spectators come down. There was a couple of young kids there that came and watched their first game of cricket. And that's how you grow the sport. That's how they get their first taste. And 
we want to be able to to offer the whole country cricket because that's how we're going to unearth more people watching and more people showing an interest in the national program. I, I wonder also, um, you did mention Barcelona, you know, having a, a crazy amount of club teams and you know, there's plenty of nice spots around in, in Catalonia where you could host a ground. So I'm just thinking, you know, what's the, um, you know, is there any plans in the works for, uh, you know, maybe northern Spain to have a centre as well or is everything kind of down in the south still at the moment? I think that it's definitely a possibility. Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, that is one of the biggest uh, issues is trying to get grounds up in Barcelona with the amount of space and trying to get permits and, and whatnot. But that is on the radar with so many so many clubs up there. We know as a federation, we would ideally be able to get a ground up there. Obviously, it's easier said than done. They do play a lot of cricket. But if we could get a ground up there, it'd be amazing. We're on on the path to try and get federated status, meaning that the government of Spain will recognise cricket as a national sport. So when we apply for grants, it becomes a lot easier for us to, to get grounds or to get travel costs covered by the government. So we're on the precipice of things like that. But yeah, Barcelona is a, a haven for talent and a haven for clubs. So getting them a ground would be uh, one of our top priorities. I mean, there's a lot of things going on with Spanish cricket. I, I think it's honestly one of those, watch this space. It's changed a lot in a year and two months, and it's only going to grow bigger. With the right infrastructure, the right people behind it, the ICC Europe team are really helping us with, as well because I think they're starting to see, hey, there's a country in Spain that has turf wickets, 11 months of sun, is well situated, and I think everybody wants to come and watch cricket and support here. So with the ECN, with the ICC, and with everything we're doing at, at Cricket España, yeah, I just think this is something that people will start cottoning on a bit. And bowling Isle of Man out for 10, even though at the time we were in a game and whatnot, is actually a great little vessel to get our name out there a bit more and jump on, well, the Emerging Cricket podcast that I listen to often and talk a little bit about us. And hopefully people can follow the Cricket España project over the next few years. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to leave it. Corey Rickers, uh, head coach of the Spanish men's cricket team and uh, sort of um, doing a bit of everything around the, the traps in European cricket. Good to speak to you. Yep. Thank you very much for your time and uh, all the best.